Hey, y'all. Welcome to the Book Marketing Mania podcast. I'm your host, Kim Stewart. And today I'm so thrilled to have Thomas Umstead Jr. as my guest. Thomas is the host of both the Christian Publishing Show and the Novel Marketing Podcast, and I first met him at the Spark Christian Podcasting Conference in 2020. He is a wealth of book publishing, marketing, and podcasting knowledge. When I first invited Thomas on, I really wanted to chat through building your author platform long before your launch with your email list, podcasting, and of course, guesting on podcast. We chat about all the things because, you know, we don't call this book marketing mania for nothing. But when Thomas talked about using a guest cast, a podcast whose episodes are simply your interviews with you as a guest, I was blown away because this is so genius. So that's what I titled this episode, because I wish we would have spent the whole time talking about this. I do want you to know we didn't start talking about it until about 30 minutes into the interview, but there's so much good stuff before it and so much good stuff after it, but I didn't want you to miss it. So let's get to it. Hey, Thomas, welcome to the Book Marketing Mania podcast. I'm so glad you're here today. Thanks for having me. Hey, my listeners heard all about how great you are in my introduction, but I would love for them just to hear a little bit from your heart about your uh, journey into working with authors and podcasting, especially. So I started while I was still in college, I was just a young whippersnapper. And my very first podcast was actually a companion to my very first book that I was working on. I was working on a book on uh, video game addiction. And I started a podcast about that back in 2007. And I went to a conference uh, to pitch my book. And at that time, all the editors and agents were like, what's a podcast? (laughs) (laughs) So it was not a very impressive form of platform. Uh Uh, It would have been just two years later, tons of podcasters got big contracts and sold millions of books. But at the time, no one knew what a podcast was. And so anyway, well, I'm there at the conference and everyone's needing help with websites. So I ended up uh, accidentally starting a website business (laughs) at the conference because people were coming up to me and giving me money for websites because I was the young nerd. And uh, (laughs) then I spent the next five years building websites for authors and I never did publish that book on video game addiction, which is a good thing. Oh, (laughs) no. My son would love that book. (laughs) Oh, well, what about uh, how you got started on hosting two really successful podcasts for authors? I'd love to hear more about that. So I started Novel Marketing back in 2013, again, to promote a book that never ended up happening. It was a theme here. So (laughs) we were planning to write a book titled Novel Marketing, and the podcast was just meant to be a way to kind of... um, prepare material for the book and build a platform for the book, which podcasting really is a great way to do that. It's also a great way to get uh, guest interviews. So if you want to interview experts for your book, most will say no. If you ask them, hey, it's for a book, can I interview you? But if you say it's for a podcast, can I interview you? They will say yes. And then you can use that information that you learned and put it into your book. Mm -hmm. So, But we found that the podcast was so much more useful for teaching book marketing than a book was because it could be current, right? Facebook could roll out some new change and we could have an episode come out a week later or two weeks later to respond to that change. Whereas you can't do that in a book. So Mm -hmm. we never ended up making that book and we've helped far more people with the podcast than we ever would have with a book version. 
Oh, yeah. Tell us about the Christian Publishing Show, too, before I get started. Yeah, so I spend a time as a Christian literary agent. And as a literary agent, I had a podcast companion uh, for that that I used as a way to kind of get my name out there as a literary agent and also as a way of building relationships with editors and, and publishing companies. And um, I was an agent with the Steve Lobby agency. So it wasn't like I was starting from scratch. And the agency mm-hmm. has one of the most popular agency blogs. So this was meant to be a, a companion for that. So they had a a blog come out every week. I was supposed to write a weekly blog post. And I was like, Steve, I don't want to write a blog post. <laughs> Can I do a podcast <laughs> episode instead? And he's like, yeah, that sounds great. So I started doing podcast episodes and uh, I kept doing it even after I stepped down as a literary agent because a podcast became very, a very popular podcast and mm-hmm. I'm still doing it now. And it's been years since I've <laughs> looked at a book contract as an agent or uh, taken on, I looked at a pitch, but I still do the uh, that show and I enjoy it. Uh, very much. We did switch to fortnightly rather uh-huh. than every week, um, partly because there was less need. There's less benefit for me to do the podcast now. I, that's more right. of my way of giving back to the community. That's so funny. I've just heard well, some podcasts I follow, they they started that way, which I just heard that term fortnightly and I had to look it up. <laughs> so I was like, what does that even mean? And then I was like, oh, now I know what it means. So um, yeah, it's so great. So many podcasters have moved to that format just every other week because yeah it's so much to so much content to digest right and then take action on so what would you say I mean it should be probably obvious but I don't know that it is if somebody hasn't been listening to the the two podcasts what would you say the biggest difference is between novel marketing and the Christian publishing show novel marketing has a little bit more of an indie edge to it so we do more episodes that are only for indies on novel mm-hmm. marketing we have both traditionally published and indie published listeners, but it's not uncommon for us to have an episode like how to indie publish or here, Mm -hmm. we'll talk about some specific marketing tactic that only an indie author can take advantage of. Whereas um, Christian publishing show leans a little bit more into the traditional publishing world again, because it's still um, broadcast through the literary agency. Uh (laughs) So you won't hear us ragging on literary agents on that (laughs) podcast. (laughs) but you will hear us interview a literary agent about how to uh-huh. write a good book proposal or how to put together a good pitch. Um, Christian publishing show is also explicitly Christian, whereas the mm-hmm. novel marketing podcast is not. I mean, I, I'll still quote the Bible there. and mm-hmm. It's not a secret that I'm a Christian. Right. But we won't talk about like the doctrine of working hard or the uh-huh. doctrine of what is a Christian book or what is not a Christian book, which is a, an interesting topic that we've explored several different times with several different guests, mm-hmm. because that's a big debate right now in the community. What makes uh-huh. a book a Christian book? Is it for the Christian market? Is it written by a Christian author? And we wouldn't explore that sort of thing uh, on novel marketing because right. it would be interesting to our secular listeners. Okay. Well, uh, yeah. And both shows are amazing. So if anybody hasn't tuned into them, I highly recommend it because it's just, I think every question that you could ask about publishing and marketing, uh, whether you're at the very baby steps, just thinking about a book or you've like published your 10th book, I think you get um, amazing quality out of both podcasts. So kudos to you, because I know those have been going on for a long time. And I know being a newbie, how hard podcasting is. And it's such a, um, it takes a lot of work, but you get a lot of value out of it whenever you serve your listeners. So the biggest thing I want to do, well, there's so many things I could talk to Thomas about today, but um, I did want to really focus in on his thoughts and advice for 
authors that, um, you know, are, are thinking about building a platform. They're about to publish their book, or maybe even they've published a book before, right? But they're about to publish the next one and really want to dive into the importance of building that platform before the book releases. Because oftentimes with new authors, if they're self-published, get the book in their hands back from their publisher, or if they publish it themselves, and then they're like, now what do I do? So then there's just like this huge runway they've kind of missed out on because they've been waiting for the book to get in their hands, but also see it too with traditionally published. Sometimes they wait for the publisher to bring the marketing plan to them. And so I'd love for you to just kind of talk into that, Thomas, your thoughts and experiences over the years of what you've seen of how important it is to start really building that platform early on. Yeah, the principle is to dig your well before you're thirsty because <laughs> mm, okay. it takes time to build a reputation. It builds it takes time to build a name for yourself. With nonfiction, you want to start building your platform before you even start building your book because the platform building helps hone you as an expert on your topic. So if you're writing about parenting and you have a parenting podcast, taking questions from your listeners, interviewing parenting experts will make you more of an expert in writing that parenting book, right? Giving speeches as a parenting expert at parenting conferences will help you clean up your ideas. Taking questions from the audience will challenge you to be better and and more clear and more concise. And all of that leads to a better book. So you want to start that platform building process right at the very beginning. And if you don't do that, what happens is that you tend to have a really poor launch and mm-hmm. a poor launch torpedoes the success for your book, regardless of how you're published, but especially if you're traditionally published, because a traditional publisher will get you into the bookstores, mm-hmm. but the bookstore will only keep your book on the shelf for 30 to 60 days. And if the copies that they ordered initially, which is often just one copy mm-hmm. or two copies, if those don't sell, they send them back to the publisher. It's what's called a return. And they'll put a different book on that shelf, right? Every day, a thousand new books come out. They only want the books that are moving. Mm -hmm. But if you can sell those books, they'll order more, have a really strong launch, which comes from having a really strong platform. Mm Mm-hmm. Yeah, that's a great point. What um that's so I probably should have asked you this first, but what what do you how do you define platform? Platform is your ability to talk to people without middlemen. Uh (laughs) Although uh, you could say, well, middlemen also are your platform. So Mm -hmm. I'm a regular guest on CNN. They have me on regularly to talk about X topic. You could say, oh, well, that's part of my platform. I'm I'm the go-to parenting expert for CNN or for Fox News, but they don't have to have me on again. I can't control that, right? It's Mm -hmm. like, just because they had me on every month for the last 12 months doesn't mean they're going to have me on next month. They're always looking for fresh faces. So I like to think of platform as the number of people that you can contact on your own. So this would be people who subscribe to your email list. This is the gold standard in traditional publishing. It's the size of your email list. And in indie publishing, it's what makes the most money. (laughs) So Mm -hmm. email list is really the main thing that they look at, but also us like podcast subscribers and to a much Mm -hmm. lesser degree, uh, Facebook fans, Facebook followers, or Instagram. Uh, But a lot of people don't realize just how many people they need following them on social media for it to make a difference. Like Mm -hmm. you can't even share a link to your book on Instagram until you have 10,000 followers. So you may think 5,000 is a big number, but it's not even enough to even promote your own book in any sort of meaningful way. Mm -hmm. Yeah. So what are the biggest things you've seen authors do, whether they are self-published or traditionally published to build their platform? What are you seeing the most success with? Um. So in terms of quick, easy success, it's 
email list building sites like Story Origin or Book Sweeps. Mm -hmm. You can spend just a little bit of money at a site like that and quickly have two or 300 email subscribers that are fans of your genre. And if you're starting from scratch, that's especially if you're writing fiction, that's where I get started (laughs) because Mm -hmm. it's getting your first hundred subscribers is really hard. And your first Mm -hmm. two or 300 is really hard because you don't have that many friends, especially you don't have that many friends who are interested in your, whatever it is that you write. Mm -hmm. Your best friends from high school might like you, but they don't read your kind of book, Mm -hmm. right? Maybe they don't read any (laughs) kind of book, right? Half of people don't read anything. Mm -hmm. Uh, So that's where I would get started in terms of platform building. Again, it really depends if it's fiction or nonfiction, Uh, but podcasting is really hot right now, uh, partly Mm -hmm. because uh, podcasting is hard and because Mm -hmm. podcasting is hard, fewer people do it, which means that if you're willing to put in the work to start a podcast, you're going to have far fewer competitors (laughs) and it's a richer, uh, more engaging medium than just text on the page. Definitely wanted to ask you about email marketing because again, that's I shouldn't say it's changed over the years, but it has. Like I know for you and I, we probably heard years ago how important an email list was. But I feel like just now, especially like in the last couple of weeks with Facebook and Instagram going down, everybody's talking about email lists. So I would like, would you just talk a little bit about, so if somebody was listening and wasn't quite sure they understood the importance of that, will you talk about the importance of having an email list as an author? And then of course, having an engaged one that will talk back to you. So I, for a time, I was a marketing director for a publishing company, and we were very data-driven in our marketing activities. We measured what we were doing. And while I was there, we boosted sales by 500%. And so when I left the company, they were selling 500% more books than they were when I joined the company. Wow. And we measured different promotional tactics, different um, engagement strategies, and we found that for us, and I'm trying to remember exactly what the number was, but I believe email was a hundred times more effective at selling books uh, in terms of the conversion rate. So mm-hmm. it took about a thousand Facebook fans to sell a copy of a book, uh, and it took us like 50 or 100 email subscribers to sell a copy of the book. <laughs> so mm-hmm. it's just an order of magnitude. Uh, almost two orders of magnitude more effective email was. Mm-hmm. And that was as a publisher. It's even more that way as an author. Authors get incredible open rates on their emails. If they're doing it well, they get incredible click-through rates and conversions. They can send an email and sell uh, really well. I know one author who gets almost, I don't want to say 30 or 40% of his list will buy his book Wow! in the week of him emailing out. He'll send one uh-huh. or two emails and he'll get 30 or 40% of the list. The whole list will buy. <laughs> That's, That's a conversion rate you don't get anywhere else. And mm-hmm. part of it is you are hitting people in a mindset and in a place where they're ready to take action. Mm-hmm. Email is a very action-oriented uh, communication tool, right? You get bills on email, you pay those bills. You get an ad for a product, you go and you buy that product. Somebody emails you a task they need you to do. Your boss emails you a task. You go and you do that task. And you're in a working mode where buying a book is really easy to do. Mm-hmm. Whereas social media, it, it's a hassle and they don't want to leave the social media app and go into some other app uh, to make a purchase. And the social media platform doesn't want you to leave. And so they make it really hard to escape out mm-hmm. of the social network. So there's a really strong gravitational force inside of that social network. Whereas email is very uh, easy to get out of email. You click a link and mm-hmm. you're off to the races. 
Mm-hmm. Yeah, I think that's so great. Because yeah, especially I know like I'm typically on my desktop and if I get an email, then yeah, it's so easy to click over and you go to Amazon and make a purchase versus yeah, if you're on your phone, it just takes so long, right? To go through those same steps and you're like, oh, I might, I might miss something, you know, really important on social media is our that's right. Or, or maybe moment. you're on your phone <laughs> checking your email and you get an email and you want to take action on it. You can mark it as unread and take uh-huh. action on it very easily later. <laughs> Whereas if you see something on social media, there's no similar mechanism of like, oh That's yeah, so I wanted to do something with that tweet. I, let me <laughs> mark that tweet as unread so I can yeah. act on it later. There's no way to do that. Yeah, if only they had that right. Well, uh, so what what are the best lead? Uh, well, I call I'll call them lead magnets, but I know I've heard you call them reader magnets, which I think is uh, amazing for our audience for sure. What has been the most effective reader magnets you've seen, like specifically for nonfiction books? For nonfiction books, the best reader magnet is something tightly tied to the topic. So there's no one super reader magnet. Mm -hmm. There is the reader magnet that specifically scratches a niche that your specific readers have. Mm -hmm. And uh, which is a little frustrating, right? With nonfiction, you really need to figure out what itches do my readers have that I can scratch in a short PDF or in a short guide. The other thing, that, and this isn't exactly a reader magnet, but it's incredibly effective, is uh, surveys and quizzes. Mm-hmm. So let's say you're struggling with working out, right? Or, or mm-hmm. you're trying to figure out what is the right workout for, for me, right? You're a, mm-hmm. a trainer. Well, you create a survey for your listeners. Like, are you a you know muscle? Do you do muscles? Do you do cardio? Do you work out inside? Do you work out outside? And you create these little like personality types to figure out which kind of person you are. And then people get their results and they want to share it with their friends and I've had guests on the podcast who've grown their email list from 2,000 subscribers to 20,000 subscribers in one year with no advertising, just with a good survey. So mm-hmm. creating a good survey around your topic, like a, another classic for a Christian author is a spiritual gifts test. You know, what kind of spiritual gifts do you have? And they take the survey to find out, and then they want to share it with all their friends at church. So that's not exactly reader magnet, but it can be really effective at growing your email list because it's got that viral element to it because it's Uh not just gives people a reason to join your list, but it also gives people a reason to share for their own reasons, right? They're not doing you a favor when they share which uh, spiritual gifting they have with their friends. They're doing themselves a favor because they've learned something about themselves as a result of taking your test. Yeah. And I'm sure in those conversations, if it was from an author, right, the book would definitely come up as you may not be thinking of it as a reader magnet, but I bet you can use it that way. Right. And yeah. I remember hearing, was it Sandra Dalton Smith on your podcast, talking about her exploding her email list with a quiz. So I'll be sure and put a link in the show notes because that was such a great conversation. Well, so let's dig into podcasting. Cause I know that's um, like you said, in the very beginning, it's a great way to build your author platform. And I know you can speak on both sides of the mic as a podcast host and a podcast guest. You do so many cool things with that. So hearing you speak at Spark has been just fascinating for me to learn. So I would love to just kind of talk about that, Thomas, as far as like hosting a podcast, like how do you see, so for if an author is thinking about starting a podcast, you know, how do you see them using that to build their platform in preparation of a book launch? So the podcast gives you a way to actively interact with your readers before the book comes out. A challenge a lot of authors have is, what do I put in my email newsletter? Because right? you can't just get them to subscribe. You have to email them something mm-hmm. of value you know, every month, at least every quarter, mm-hmm. uh, or the emails will go bad and you can't use the list anymore. So, so you have to have some kind of ongoing communication. And a podcast is one way to solve that problem. 
So now, you know, what do you get in the month of email? Here's the, that month's podcast episode, or here are the three or four episodes that came out that month, or you can have a weekly newsletter. It depends on how active you are with podcasting. The other really great thing about a podcast, and I already alluded to this, is that it gives you access to experts that you wouldn't have had access to otherwise. So Mm -hmm. I did finally write a book on dating and relationships, not (laughs) on video game addiction. And the number one author, Christian author on dating and relationships, wrote the foreword for my book. She had what you could say was a competing book, (laughs) but Uh I didn't see it as a competing book. I saw us on a team really against some bad ideas that we were both challenging from different perspectives. Mm -hmm. And uh, she had initially reached out to me because of a blog post that I wrote. We had exchanged some emails, but what really built the relationship was me having her as a guest on my radio show, just like a podcast, right? Mm -hmm. Because we chit chat before and after the interview And it built that relationship with somebody who otherwise would be a total stranger. I've never met her before in real life, before or since. But the talking on the phone or face-to-face on Zoom that you typically do with a podcast guest helps build those relationships. And it allows you to do them a favor, right? Let's say this quote-unquote competitor of yours has a book coming out. And you have them on your podcast for your similar audience to promote their book. You just done them a big favor. Something inside of them is going to want to do you a favor for you back. And so when you reach out to them later, you don't say, hey, I had you on my podcast. You owe me. You Uh just say, hey, would you be willing (laughs) to have me on your podcast? Or would you be willing to write a blurb for my book? And instead of you being a stranger asking for something out of the blue, which they would always say no to, you now have a relationship and you've done them a favor, which makes them much more likely to do a favor back for you. And so being a podcast guest or being a podcast host gives you this really powerful place to be generous and bless mm-hmm. a lot of people and those blessings, they won't all come back, but mm-hmm. some of them will come back and it's way better than not blessing people and staying in your closet all by yourself. Right. Right. Well, what about, so if, if an author was going to do a solo podcast, if that's what they felt called to do, what would you say? Cause I, I, I imagine many of them have the hesitation of, you know, if I, if I talk about the content of my book, then no one's going to buy it, right? They can just go listen to my podcast for free. So why would they want to buy it? Or they're not, you know, if they're traditionally published, they might feel like their publisher doesn't even want them talking about it, right? Until pre-orders come out. So what would you have to say to that? Yeah, that that's just wrong thinking. <laughs> that's like saying, oh, we don't want the book to come out first before the movie. Because if people uh-huh. read the book, they're not going to want to watch the movie. <laughs> it's like, no, I, I watched the movie Dune opening weekend. <laughs> Why? Because I had read the book twice. Uh-huh. I wasn't afraid of spoilers because I already knew what was going to happen. Why? Because I read the book <laughs> twice. <laughs> and yet I was excited. I I didn't care about the trailers. I didn't bother watching the trailers hardly because I already knew I was going to watch the movie. Why? Because I'd already read the book. And when the medium is different, it changes everything. So the fact that they heard your podcast makes them more likely to want to read your book, not less likely to read your book. As an author, your enemy is obscurity, not piracy. And if somebody is thinking, oh, I have these precious secrets, and if I give them away, no one's going to want to hear anything else from me before, uh, they're overvaluing their secrets. (laughs) Your knowledge isn't that valuable. And the content will shift as a being on a book or on a podcast. Mm. And I know you mentioned this, I think at Spark, you had talked about how when you're on a podcast with your hosting or guesting, if you would reference your audio book, that that might have some increased sales, right? Because you're already talking to somebody that listens to podcasts or probably listens to audiobooks. They have that listening um, ear for their content. 
That's exactly right. Especially if you're guesting. So guesting, uh, you're getting a new audience every week, right? Like some of the people listening to this podcast right now had no idea who I was before mm-hmm. I came on the podcast. Some may have, some may have not. Uh, but every time I go on a podcast, I'm being introduced to new listeners. Whereas everyone listening to the Novel Marketing Podcast knows who Thomas Umstead is. Mm-hmm. <laughs> Unless they're brand new to the podcast. But chances are they came to the podcast because somebody sent them or they heard about it or they heard me on another podcast. So th- those are people who already know me. When you guessed, you're talking for the most part to strangers. And for a stranger, that audiobook is a really easy next step, mm-hmm. especially if they're a podcast listener. They're probably already an audiobook listener. Thanks in no small part to the fact that the only company to advertise on podcasts for the first 10 years was Audible. <laughs> so mm-hmm. there's a few others. Now there's lots of companies uh-huh. that advertise on podcasts. But in the early days, it was just Audible. <laughs> it's part of the reason why Audible is the whole market in terms of audiobooks because none of their competitors advertised on podcasts. Or at least I don't remember any of them advertising. Yeah, they didn't buy enough right. to get my attention. And I spent uh-huh. a lot of money with Audible <laughs> over the last <laughs> uh, 10 or 15 years. And so having that presence is important. Having an audiobook is important uh, because there are people like me. I don't read books. I only listen to books. And uh-huh. so if I heard you on a podcast, uh, I will go and look, buy your book. I buy a, a lot of books because I hear the guest interviewed on a podcast. And if I see that there's only paper and Kindle, I don't buy. <laughs> so that's a, a purchase they would have gotten, but they don't uh-huh, they miss from out someone on like me. Yeah, that's so funny. I, and I love listening to audiobooks too. I don't listen to them as much as I read on my Kindle. And I think it's just, I don't know why, it's just, you know, you can take it on the go just like you could an audiobook, but I am a Kindle fanatic and I loved you, uh, this kind of a little bit of a side note, but it's, but it's pertinent to what we're talking about. But I heard you and Christelle Profits conversation that aired on both y'all's podcasts, which I do want to ask about that in a minute. But um, you, you just, I just, I, this has been in my mind because I do, I love, and I, I'm a, I'm a uh, free magnet. Like what, what are the people called that you know? Like they're always going to download your freebie, right? I'm just, I love freebies. So I'm on so many subscriptions that send out, you know, my Kindle book is free this week. So my Kindle is like full. But what I was going to say though is, I loved how you, when you were coaching Crystal on this episode, was. You had mentioned, um, but I know you mentioned there's also a lot of work to do. So I don't know anything about the Kindle world of, of the publishing side of it, but you had mentioned on there, like you could do an update to your Kindle. And I get those emails all the time. Like this book has been updated. So you need to download some new thing. And I think you mentioned to her that, you know, you could add in some new content, right? That I would, and I was just thinking about the email list, like that would be a great place. Cause I know people don't think about adding in something about their email list and their Kindle books. So I don't know if you want to say anything about that, but that just, that was on my mind. And I was like, I've got to be sure and mention that to you that I was like, oh my gosh, like, I, I don't think I've ever heard anybody talk about that. <laughs> yeah, that's one of the beautiful things about Kindle. And also if your book is printed on, on demand, which is almost always the case if you're indie published mm-hmm. and is the case more often than you would think if you're traditionally published, you have the ability to make rapid and quick changes to the book. Mm-hmm. And for print on demand, it's all the books that are sold from this point forward. So there's no warehouse with thousands of your books in storage. The books are printed on demand. So the order mm-hmm. comes in and then the book is created to fill that order. And one of the things that I teach on the podcast is using your book's back matter, the material, the pages at the end of the the end of your book to build your platform, grow your email list and sell the next book if you have one. But mm-hmm. when you're writing your first book, you may not have another book, right? So mm-hmm. when book two comes out, you want to go back and edit book one 
to have a page where they can just tap with their finger to go and buy book two, mm-hmm. right? <laughs> Somebody's just finished your book. Hopefully they've had this great emotional experience. They've just learned something they didn't know before, or they've experienced a story that moved them. I, they should be very easy to sell to. And that's definitely the case for me. When I'm binging a book, if I enjoyed the first one, I'll often go and buy all the rest of the yes. books <laughs> in the series. And it's really easy to do, especially if you're any published, if you're in control of your own book and not going through one of these predatory companies that puts themselves in between you and Amazon. Um, you can have your own relationship with Amazon Kindle. You don't need to go through um, some company that will charge you thousands of dollars to quote publish you. You don't need that. You can mm-hmm. publish yourself. And uh, so then the question is, well, what do I put at the end of my book? Well, that changes over time. But one really easy thing, if it's nonfiction, is put together some worksheets that help them take what you're teaching in your book and put it to practice in your life. And I found this also works for podcasts. Uh, mm-hmm. Just last week, I put out a podcast about an about page, you know, how to make your about uh-huh. page better. And I have a worksheet that goes along with that podcast episode to fill out, to help you write a better bio. <laughs> so oh, you fill so out great. the worksheet, you answer these questions in the worksheet. And now you've got the ingredients all laid out there on the counter, ready for you to cook the meal. Uh-huh. So it doesn't write the bio for you, but it helps make the preparation easier, right? Why is it mm-hmm. so easy for the people on TV to do the cooking because all the ingredients are already there. Right? Mm-hmm. It's like, take this glass jar, dump it in. It's not, it's not nearly as hard as, you know, hunting around when I try to cook uh-huh. <laughs> big mess and big yeah. disaster. Uh, and it only gets worse the longer I'm cooking, <laughs> but that is a, a specific thing. Cause you can hear, Oh yeah, you need to make your bio more like a story and more uh-huh. engaging. And it's really easy for that to go in one ear and out the other, but it's something else when they get a word document that fills out, it's like, okay, who's the antagonist? of your bio? What was the transition point, right? Who, um, and, and these sorts of really specific questions and almost every nonfiction topic lends itself to that sort of sit down in front of your computer, put this into practice uh-huh. and you can add those downloads to the end of your ebook. <laughs> so mm-hmm. click this link and they sign up for your newsletter. They get the downloads. Now they have a deeper connection with you and a better transformation, uh, having read the book than they would have gotten otherwise. Mm, yeah, those are great points. That's what usually happens to me on a podcast is I'm sure there have been some where I've heard somebody and immediately went and bought their book if I was in a position to do so, you know, had it at my ready. But a lot of times I definitely will go click over and subscribe to their email list or go find them on social and find whatever information I need to definitely get in touch with them again. So yeah, let's move over to then. So the podcast guesting. So I know you have done a lot of guest episodes and uh, like I said, you and Crystal Prophet, who is my amazing podcast coach. I love her and I love hearing both of you guys talk at Spark the year before last. So y'all did this amazing episode where you kind of coached her on her launching her book, which was about podcasting, um, but it was a self-published non-fiction um, book. So I loved how you, y'all recorded that together. It was your coaching session of her, but you put it on both of your podcasts, the exact same episode, but you know, Crystal's was all definitely she was talking to her listeners and she had her introduction and then yours was for your listeners. And I just thought that was such an amazing concept. And I know you mentioned it again at the spark this year. Will you just talk about the benefits of doing that as a guest and how you could maybe go about, I guess, if you're a podcast host and you're going to be a guest, how you can kind of go about working with other podcasters to do swaps like that and to really collaborate. Cause I think that's just so smart because you guys have some of the similar audiences that can benefit so much from that. And then again, that was like a coaching session. So it was even more valuable than just, you know, an interview with you like this. It was just incredible to hear you, you know, share with her what she could be doing to promote her book or get ready to launch it. 
Yeah. So I should say that technique I didn't come up with. It is actually super common, but only in a very small corner of the podcasting world. And that is the history podcast world. The average history podcast gets 10 times more downloads than the average non-history podcast, which really, if you haven't listened to a history podcast, you really need to, because there's Mm -hmm. a lot of really basic techniques that they do to promote each other, to boost history podcasting as a genre. And so we give us, throw out a couple of samples of one so we can link to those. So the history of Byzantium podcast, I really like. So I want you to imagine these Byzantine emperors with these giant Vikings with these battle axes following them everywhere. So the history of Byzantium podcast does an episode about these Viking guards and who do they have on as a guest, the history of Vikings podcast. And so it's a really fun uh, interview where their expertises were shared with each other in a way that's really organic and uh, really fun for both audiences. And then it's like, well, you want to learn more about Vikings? Listen to the History of Vikings podcast. You want to learn about more about the Romans of Constantinople? Listen to the History of Byzantium podcast because they called themselves Romans. It's very <laughs> fascinating. Uh, but I feel like a lot of podcasts have the potential for that. The challenge with doing a crosscast is you have to make it interesting for both audiences. Mm-hmm. And a lot of podcasts really lean in on telling someone's story, like a lot mm-hmm. of interviews or somebody's story. And somebody's story isn't going to be interesting to their existing audience who's already heard that story a whole bunch of times. So mm-hmm. when it works well, it's something like like with what Crystal and I did, where I was coaching on a really specific topic. Um, in the whole like coaching call, I've experimented with that. And some of those have been a big hit. The one with Crystal is a big hit. Some of them are are too focused, right? It's mm-hmm. like it's about young adult fiction and people who write young adult fiction loved it, but nobody else listened to it. <laughs> so mm-hmm. I'm still exploring the coaching call format, but teaming up with other podcasters is a really great way to grow your audience. And it also reduces the net amount of work because you're kind mm-hmm. of sharing the load for that one episode. Uh, the other way to do it is by creating a guest cast. Mm-hmm. That's what I want to ask about too. Good. Yeah. <laughs> so, which is what, if it's okay with you, I plan to do with this episode. So I oh, have absolutely. a, you can do anything you want. <laughs> yeah, so I have a podcast feed of just my guest interviews on different podcasts around the internet. And this is shockingly easy to set up. If you have WordPress, just mm-hmm. add the PowerPress plugin to WordPress. And then you copy and paste the MP3 link from the ho- podcast host. So, Kim, when you are when you publish this episode, you'll if you're like most podcast hosts, you'll send me an email like, hey, here's the link to the episode. Uh-huh. Feel free. Please send a tweet, right? Please share this with your folks. So what, I would get, what I'll do is I'll go to that episode. I'll find the download link to download the MP3 and I'll copy that URL. So it'll be HTTP something and it'll end in .mp3. Okay. So I'll copy that and then I'll paste it into PowerPress on my website and I'll create a blog post saying, hey, here's my interview on Kim's podcast. Here's what we talked about. I'll have a link back to the original episode, a link where they can subscribe if they uh, like this episode. They're like, man, Kim is amazing. I want to hear more about uh, this. They can subscribe to it. But everyone who subscribes to my podcast will get that episode downloaded onto their phones automatically. Okay. And so they can just follow me around the internet as I do uh-huh. guest interviews. Not a, not a ton of people subscribe to it, but my core fans do. And it's mm-hmm. a real fun way of sharing my podcast interviews and also makes it easy if someone's trying to do research on me and they don't want to uh-huh. do the same interview that everybody else has done. They can very easily go to my website and listen to my past interviews if they want yeah. to. 
Yeah, I see the topics. So you've got it on your website and they could subscribe there. As well as I know, like if I go search at your name on like Apple podcast, it came up, right? That you had a separate podcast called guest cast and then also saw it on Podchaser. So there's like, uh, and I'm sure there's probably even more than that, right? But there's multiple ways then that somebody might be listening to podcasts and they'll discover it and be able to subscribe to it. And then they're going to hear every episode you've been a guest on. So that's, but it's, but I think you said, because they're downloading, right? The exact episode from the host, it's, it's as if they're downloading that that podcast you were on, not just like you saying, Hey, here's another copy of this podcast. That's right. So it's, I don't have to pay for podcast hosting Uh because all of the files are hosted by their respective hosts, which means you get your stats from all of my downloads. I don't get the stats from your downloads, but it is a real podcast in the sense that it's in the directory. So you can subscribe to it on Spotify or Apple podcasts or whatever. And I do occasionally put out episodes on there that aren't on other podcasts. Like it's uh-huh. my chance for kind of off topic because it's yeah. the Thomas Umstadt podcast. So uh-huh. and my church had me give a short reflection for Good Friday uh-huh. uh, one year and they sent me the recording and they're like, in case you want to do anything with it. And I was like, well, I'll throw this up on the, on the podcast. So I just hosted the file on my own website, which I don't recommend if you're doing a main podcast, but for mm-hmm. something every once in a while, it, it works fine. And I was able to put that out there. And so people who wanted to could listen to it. But yeah, it's not through like Blueberry or Buzzsprout. Uh I'm not paying for that. It's no additional cost to what I'm already paying for my uh, current website. Oh, I love that. So did you do a podcast episode on that by chance? (laughs) We could learn more about it. On how to do a guest cast? Yeah. Or do you have a blog post on that? I don't. I should. Oh, you should have. Yeah. Because I'd love to link to something because I'd love to just see how the mechanics of it work. So yeah, I would, will you make a note of that and please let me yeah, know? That would be, that would be awesome. I, I've thought about the, tr- the trick is um, I, I am going to do an episode on it. It's a little bit visual because a uh-huh. lot of people, especially if they're new to podcasting, they don't really know what an RSS feed is. There's a uh-huh. whole new generation yeah. of folks, especially if they're Buzzsprout users. Uh, I love Buzzsprout because it makes podcasting easy, but the uh-huh. downside of making podcast easing easy is that if you're a Buzz, Buzzsprout podcaster, you don't really know how podcast works and <laughs> they oh, handle okay. so much of it behind the uh-huh. curtain that it becomes a little bit harder to hack together a guest cast, for instance. Whereas if you're from the old school, like I am uh-huh. from the olden days, we chiseled our uh, RSS uh, <laughs> you know, in attachments by hand on stone tablets. Uh, <laughs> we, we understand a little bit better, but yeah, I'll, I'll do an episode on guest cast and I'll, I'll um, yeah, that would be wonderful. Yeah, our out. blog post with screenshots, whatever, whatever's easy on you. We would love to definitely see it. Well, so tell us too about um, podcast guesting. So I imagine that's really helped you uh, grow your subscribers of both your podcast, as well as I know you have lots of courses and and programs that you offer for authors. And I'm going to ask you about that too, but I just would love to ask first, have, have you seen a big jump? Oh, I shouldn't say a big jump, but have you seen your podcast grow as a result of guesting on other podcasts? Yes, uh, but it's never a big jump, and I'll tell mm-hmm. you why. So uh, podcasting is a little bit unique uh, in, as a medium because it's time-shifted. So some of you listening, you subscribe, and you got this new episode, and you're such a big fan that you listened mm-hmm. to it the day it came out. Others of you are big fans, but the day it came out, you were busy. You didn't mm-hmm. listen to it for the next week. And some of you are in the far distant future and you're binging this show and this is a backlist episode. And so podcasting doesn't see big spikes. Like if you advertise on podcasts, you don't uh-huh. see big spikes. What you see is this very gradual increase in the numbers uh-huh. because some people are, are listening now. Some people are listening in the future. 
which makes it a little tricky to measure, right? The data-driven marketer in me is like, I want those numbers. I want to know exactly how many people heard me on such and such podcast and then went on to subscribe. You don't get that level of granular detail because podcasting is one of the few privacy-respecting mediums on the Mm -hmm. internet where you actually have a lot of privacy as a listener. It's hard for people to know who you are when you listen. You go to a blog post, they know your gender. They know all this data because Google and Facebook are telling the website all this information about you. And with podcasting, that's not how it works. Yes. But yes, I have seen an increase, but it's harder to measure. And mm-hmm. it's anecdotal. Like, so I'll, you know, I'll have somebody who will buy my courses or join my mastermind group. And I'm like, well, how did you find out about me? And they're like, oh, well, I heard you on such and such podcast. And I was like, oh, I didn't know there's a podcast for books. You know, it makes uh-huh. sense, but I hadn't thought about that. And so then they come and they, start listening to my podcast and it builds the relationship from there. Yeah. Yeah. That's wonderful. Well, I would love for you to share Thomas, cause I do know you have lots of courses and you have a Patreon for your podcast and programs that you do for authors. So I just love for you to dive into that. Cause I know, as I've mentioned before that I love talking about podcast pitching and I love helping authors with that, but I'm more in the, like the very beginning of this is how we start pitching ourselves. Um, I don't get into the guesting or, you know, how to organize all your, your hardware or how to find host information. And I know you're really good at that. So I would love for you just to share um, definitely about your podcast pitching course, if it still looks the same, as well as um, some of your other programs that you do to help authors with everything we've kind of talked about. So you can, you know, start working with them early on and build their platform early on. Yeah. So I have two different things to help you if you're wanting to guest on podcasts. Uh, The first is the course that you mentioned. It's called How to Get Booked as a Podcast Guest. And it talks about how to put together a pitch, how to reach out to podcast hosts, how to do a good job on the interview, what gear to get so you sound good. And ultimately, the goal is not just to get booked on podcasts, but to get invited back. Mm Because your goal as an author is to have this kind of stable of podcasts that you have good relationships with. So that when you have a book launch come out, you shoot an email and be like, hey, Joe, you know, I've got a new book coming out. Can I be back on your podcast? And mm-hmm. hopefully Joe's like, oh, my gosh, you know, yes, I loved having you on. You can come back anytime back when you went on the first time. Mm-hmm. So then you can schedule those interviews to be right around uh, your book launch and it helps you be everywhere. And so doing good job as a guest is what helps lead to that. Uh, and that's what the course covers. And then I also put together as part of my Patreon for my podcast listeners, the podcast host directory. This is a directory of over 100,000 podcasts in their contact information. So if you want to reach out to a specific podcaster, this is a way to get their email address. And hopefully you're doing it in combination with the course. So you know what to put in that email. So they actually (laughs) want to have you on, Um, which is part of the reason why I don't put the podcast host directory as a standalone product. It's kind Uh of hidden. Frankly. Yeah, yeah. Uh, and I because I don't want podcasters to get spammed. I want them uh-huh, to get yeah. relevant, targeted emails because you know this is a podcast oh, yeah. host. You love it when somebody mm-hmm. pitches you and they're a good fit for your audience. But most of the time, they're not. I can't tell yes. you how many like uh, entrepreneurs I have pitching my podcast to talk about, mm-hmm. you know, marketing their nutritional supplements business. I'm like, yeah, so close to yeah, <laughs> yeah, yeah. Let me just say, yeah, for, for Thomas and I, we both have the heart of really serving the podcast hosts that you want to guest on. So this is not a database that you're just like downloading, you know, a list of a hundred email addresses. You're just going to go blanket out a podcast pitch. That's not what either of us are saying. So, That's but right. I'd love and to share it as a resource within your course. Yes, exactly. And it's, you can't, I should be clear. You can't download 
about it. Like it's yeah. not oh, a good. spreadsheet okay. of a hundred thousand <laughs> emails. Yeah. It's a search engine where you have to type in the name of the podcast or the genre, or you type in a specific podcast, but you have to click and then click. And then you get the one email address, which if you're mm-hmm. doing it legit, that's fine. Uh-huh. Right? If you're wanting yeah. to spam thousands of people at once, that's really tedious and it's te- mm-hmm. tedious on purpose. <laughs> right. Yeah. Yeah. We don't advocate for pitching like that. <laughs> and it doesn't work. It's, it's yeah. not just annoying, but it doesn't work. Like, or it only gets you on podcasts with no listeners. They're right. so yeah. There's not going to be any benefit anybody. to you. Yeah. <laughs> we aren't, we aren't into that. No way. Oh my gosh. Well, this has been so awesome, Thomas. And I love all your time sharing your wisdom today. So I'll definitely put links to um, your courses and your podcasts and different things like that. Is there um, any one place you want to share though, that you would like for listeners to connect with you? Uh, authormedia.com is the website for the Novel Marketing Podcast. It's also where all the courses live and it's where you can find uh, links to Patreon. So authormedia.com is is the one place. But if you want to find the guest cast version of this episode, you'd find that at thomasumstat.com. And don't even try spelling it. Just start <laughs> typing Thomas Umstead into Google. <laughs> Google will get you the rest of the way there. Oh, good. Yeah, I definitely encourage everybody to check out the guest cast. That is awesome. Well, thank you so much, Thomas. I so appreciate your time today. Thanks for having me. Live long and prosper. Y'all, didn't I tell you Thomas was a wealth of knowledge? I hope you learned a ton from today's show. If you are using podcast guesting to grow your author platform, I highly recommend you check out Thomas's guest cast, and I'll put a link in the show notes to his and others that I found. And if you did enjoy today's episode, I'd be so grateful if you left a review on either Apple Podcast or on Podchaser. Thanks again for tuning in, and I'll meet you back here in two weeks to cheer you on to market your book one podcast at a time.